0: This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson-Weber, and my guests are Michael Menindian and Chuck Spencer. Um, Mike is directing Arthur Miller's The Price at Raven Theater, and uh, Chuck is uh, one of the cast members, um, I think you could say the lead. Maybe, Mike, since not everybody will know the play, if you could just kind of tee us up as to what The Price is.
1: Okay. Uh, the Price is uh, Arthur Miller's... Uh, um, story written in 1968 it takes place in um, an old brownstone building in manhattan and you when you enter the theater you find that it's the attic of the brownstone that's filled to the rafters literally with furniture and uh the two brothers victor and walter have to uh get rid of all the furniture because the city of New York is going to tear down the building. And uh, you come to find out that these two brothers have uh, gone their separate ways and haven't talked to each other in 16 years since the father passed away. So they meet in this brownstone. The first half of the play, we're introduced to Victor and his wife, Esther. And uh, along the way comes the appraiser, who's going to buy the furniture, and the second half of the play really concentrates on how the two brothers deal with the past and coming to grips with the present, mm-hmm. why they weren't in communication with each other and all the skeletons come flying out of the closet.
0: It's what I call um, a dark secrets are revealed play. Um, <laughs> yeah. And honestly, that's not always my favorite kind of play. I mean, it can be kind of... Um, What's the word? It can kind of be shallow almost. The suspense can be shallow. What's interesting here is that it's not just learning what happened, but the audience flips back and forth in their understanding and their appraisal of that. Definitely. Happening. Um, well, I think it, one of the reasons it, it's, it's a, a lovely production and it's, I was just struck again Thank by you. how good Arthur Miller <laughs> yes. is. He's so insightful about people and he's so, um, interested in questioning and questioning again and questioning again and all of that um, comes through in this production but the other thing um that kind of made me intrigued to talk to you too is that this is by no means the first miller you've ever done in fact i think mike you said before the interview that you've, you've counted nine i projects believe we've done
1: nine projects Mayden. including death of death of a salesman twice it's the only miller piece we've done more than once
0: and, and that production, the most recent production, I uh, also interviewed Chuck about that. Right. That was a highly acclaimed uh, production. So, so what I would kind of like to try to get at is what you've learned about how Miller works, what doesn't work in producing Miller over, you know, nine. Hey, Chuck, have you been involved in every one of those?
2: No, no. Uh, a, a lot of them. But yeah.
0: Let's just say. Eventually, lots. you've
2: been
1: in the crucible. You were in Memory of Two Mondays. You you were in All My Sons. You were in Death of a Salesman twice.
0: <laughs> Chuck's looking you, a little blank. Like, yeah. did I
1: really do all that? You no, know, <laughs> yeah, he was
2: it's really because um, we the years are catching up with. We'll Ryan. put it
0: this way: you both have enough yes. experience to <laughs> <laughs> probably have something interesting to say <laughs> yeah, about absolutely. about Miller. So let's maybe start with um, what are what are pitfalls. That in your experience, um, in, in putting on Miller for a contemporary audience. I mean, it's funny to talk about contemporaries compared to Miller, but sure. he is beginning to be dated in some ways. Mm-hmm. So. In some
1: ways, yeah. But the one thing about Miller that's always drawn me from the very beginning is his ability to, uh, make family relations, um, relevant at any time. If you look at all of his plays, Even the ones that aren't necessarily family driven, they still have the sense of, uh, the family core, whether it's the workplace or it's the home, which is a very common, um, theme in his, in many plays or outside the home as the price is. And so he really has this handle on the tensions between Fathers and sons, Mm -hmm. uh, brothers, uh, husbands and wives, and um, that's one element of his many different uh, uh, outlooks on, on the American landscape. <clears throat> I think Miller is very much the, uh, quintessential American writer. He often, his themes are also about the American dream and the pursuit of the American dream or the false pursuit of that dream. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, uh, and that's what draws me to him. Now, the pitfalls are, are, um, the biggest one I could think of, and Chuck can certainly comment on it as an actor, is to avoid the sentimentality. Now, I don't believe Arthur Miller writes with sentimentality, but one can always get carried away with any melodramatic element of the uh, story that you want to uh, Mm -hmm. fight against so that you're really uh, exploring the complexity of the relationship rather than the surface element of it that could reduce it to just uh, uh, an argument, a two-hour argument, and that would be tremendously boring no matter what play it is
0: well it's interesting because to me you threw out three things in one breath or two breaths maybe which were sentimentality um uh, sort of s- on the surface and melodrama not in that order are those all connected in your mind because i wouldn't have thought they're the same thing
1: well they're not the same thing but they're certainly they're connected in the sense that if you play the characters on the surface then you're opting for the easier choices uh, as a director and actors where h- hence you make sentimental choices that come across as being somewhat melodramatic uh-huh. um, right. in, in in the bad sense. I mean, there's good melodrama and then there's a uh, sort of, uh, you know, typical daytime soap opera melodrama. Right. Which, <laughs> yeah, right. And I think that, you know, Miller also, the other element of his Plays that are fascinating to us is that he really captures the the everyman, which is a common theme in many of his uh, plays. And I would say that Victor is is the everyman as compared to his brother, who has excelled as a successful surgeon, become a local celebrity in New York City, mm-hmm. and Victor's just a beat cop. Right. And yet the story focuses and circles very much around Victor, not mm-hmm. Walter. So clearly, so are Arthur... the
0: glamorous characters exactly just like willie Loman
1: was just a salesman. Right. Victor's just a cop yeah. and and, um, and I think that that element of it really resonates with with people today mm-hmm. as well. And you know, when you look at the price, the obvious thing is two brothers who went different ways and how they took care of their parent. Mm-hmm. And that's a story that probably started, you know, five thousand years ago. Right. And is going on today and will happen a thousand years from now. A
0: basic human story.
1: We yeah. won't evolve past what are obligations that siblings have to each other, to their parents. Right. Those are very universal themes.
0: Right. Well, Chuck, why don't you talk then about, um, either in the specific context of the price or just, you know, over a life as an actor doing Miller. What are the things that you have to fight against in your own work or get past.
2: I, I, agree with what Michael was saying about, um, when you read it, uh, or, or you, or you present one of his scenes, uh, it, it's, it's easy to choose the sentimentality of it and to play that, play the emotion. Uh, you have to find the truth like you do in any play, of course. Uh, but two examples, uh, that Michael and I clearly remember um i have it during rehearsal i i have to feel the emotion before I, i can understand it um and in death of a salesman at the very end of the play willie is in his dreamy mind and he sees his brother ben and he is talking to ben about what he should do uh should he kill himself so that he can collect the insurance money. He sees that as a bargain. When I was playing it, I was getting, mm, you know, emotional, uh, sad, playing all of that. And Michael advised me to instead feel the emotions internally, of course, but just play it f- truthful and, and, and just straightforward. Just say the lines, which was hard for me to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I discovered that it was much more powerful for the audience because what I was allowing them to do was feel the emotions themselves rather than me showing the emotion, showing tears, showing sentimentality. Um, when I did it just honestly and straightforward, um, it was more powerful for the audience. And, and there's another moment in this play, The Price, where at the end, Victor is, and I won't tell you what he's talking about because I, I, want our audience to come see it, but he is revealing something from his past that is pretty emotional. And as a matter of fact, it's, it's,
0: um. One of the dark secrets. One of being the dark, se- <laughs> one of the
2: very dark secrets. And I, once again, so I could feel it was playing the emotions. I was even, you know, getting caught up emotion, teary eyed, you know, and, and again, Michael said, why don't you, now that you felt that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) why don't you play it straight, just tell it. Mm -hmm. And again, I find that the audience is more moved by that kind of honesty. Mm -hmm. So I think that's maybe what Michael was, uh, uh, it's easy to, Mm -hmm. to become melodramatic, but you're not, allowing the audience to participate that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do.
0: Let's talk, um, about the, the structure. And as I think back about on, on the price, it's, it seems to me in memory to be mostly duets that he kind of just keeps redealing these four characters into pairs. Right. And in most of the scenes, one or two are laying out. And so, um, I, I don't know if there's anything interesting to say about that, but does it, does it affect how you go about working with the actors? Is it uh, does it seem important to you?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit unique for Miller. It's only four characters and that's a relatively small cast. I'm trying to think back to, to all the different Miller plays we've done and most of them have been seven or eight or nine at least. Oh my which, sons. Death all my the salesman, the yeah. crucible has very large cast, cast of <laughs> hundreds,
0: <people>. right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah,
1: it's unusual Mem- to have yeah. so few characters. So right. that means that you're really concentrating on the language uh as the vehicle for the actions, so really you and the relationship and the relationship so what we were the challenge of the play was that the play turns it goes in one direction and it's slow it it, it, it begins to accelerate, and the conflict between the brothers is more and more revealed, and we begin to understand both sides of this coin so we see victor side then we see walter side then we go back and forth as one lobs a grenade the mm-hmm. other one counters with a larger grenade mm-hmm. and and at one point there is a, a point at which you're not certain if they're going to reconcile their mm-hmm. relationship or not mm-hmm. and one thing happens which we won't give away right. But the challenge was to find out how do we get to that point where we haven't lost our audience, where our audience is following it moment to moment to moment and wondering, What's going to happen between these two brothers? Because Miller does not just simply spell it out, obviously, and say, this is it. This is the, uh, the moment. Um, you have to really discover it. And it's very subtle. It's, I, I thought, You mean you
0: have to discover as a director the moment where yes. the decision is made?
1: Right. Is that and so right? you have to find out what the, what, what is at stake with every single hairpin turn in the story sort of like
2: a baseball game kind of like a baseball Everybody, game every swing of the bat means something else and everything that right. is revealed means that everything changes in the dynamics of the relationship That's right. and relationship so, so i think
1: that was a really hard part where there are other miller plays that are so heavily plot driven that you can just reveal the plot and let the characters in their own rich and dynamic way uh drive that plot this plot is all internal yes there's no external plot to speak of Mm -hmm. so you have to find the truth and and the complexity of that truth and the more the more complex you can make it of course the more interesting it is because otherwise the audience could tune it out Mm -hmm. uh if they didn't feel compelled to follow the the polemics of both sides
0: so so try to help me understand from a director's point of view what choices that presents for you in order to make that happen what do you do A or B do you know what i'm saying
1: yeah i think i think it's that at every turn you have to determine what is the less obvious choice there are choices that are made that can seem in terms the of the surface. actors the, In terms way they're of the actors and the action on stage, mm-hmm. whether it's the actors together or one individual actor, mm-hmm. um, you know, dominating the moment or the, the scene. And you have to really find whether or not those choices are working to build your story to that turning point that we're talking about. Because this story has a series of hairpin turns. Mm-hmm. And if those turns are not cleanly met... Uh, then your audience is going to get lost, I think. And I think that's the, the challenge of this play, I thought, was that the, the, the sheer complexity of what the two brothers were battling over in terms of their commitment to their father, their family, and therefore their own careers, mm-hmm. which were, um, you know, at stake here. Uh, that's where I, I thought working with Chuck and Joanne and, and John and Leonard, we had to really discover, um, you know, why do we care about these people? Uh, but you could easily not care about them, and then halfway through the play, you feel like, "Who cares who's right?" Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be willing to uh, find. You have to find a way to get the audience invested in the dynamics between the two brothers.
0: Is it important, Chuck, that you, for instance, and John, who plays your brother, agree about what happened in each scene? Do you go through a process where you say this was the transaction?
2: the history we have to agree on yeah i don't think we always have to agree on the moment Mm -hmm. um, but the history absolutely as a matter of fact we spent a lot of time on history Um, you have to you cannot do this play unless you fully understand what has happened in the past Um, each character might have a different perception or viewpoint of what happened but you have to agree on the facts of it and so that Mm -hmm. is definitely something that that we worked on um,
0: and is that just sitting around a table saying, so then in 1929 this happened and then in 1934? Pretty much. I mean, part
2: of it, we
1: worked with our assistant director who gave us, uh, uh, we sat many times and figured out from the clues that Miller gave in the script. Well, if they moved all the furniture up in 36 and then he died at this age and mm-hmm. then you find out that the old, the, the, the uh, old broker is 89 years old. Mm-hmm. And his daughter, died 50 years ago so you're you know little right. by little you're going okay well what is the timeline here because mm-hmm. the whole play is about the past right. it's not about the future right. it's about it's about reconciling the past so if we can't come to terms with exactly who did what when mm-hmm. then we're just thrashing about in the water and not really uh and focused
2: also, and i think that that's another thing that makes it fascinating for the audience because if we really believe that history if we really believe that history the actors i mean um then we have an emotional reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes small, sometimes huge, depending on, on what is said at, at the time. And the audience has to see that too. It's not just saying the line, of course, you know, or, or being angry. It's like, wh- how, w- how do I feel about that? And, and I think that's what we're doing. And I think that's why it's, it's, uh, doing very well.
0: Do you create memories for the character? Memories? In other words, do you, in your head, create what it was like when yes, yes. something happened? Yes, yes. Oh, yes, definitely. So you, so, and then in the moment on the stage, do you actually remember them, so to speak? Well,
2: you know, I, I sort of, if you can, I can only, uh, explain it as, as, uh, anybody listening would. Uh, you don't have to relive history if you know it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You just know it. And you know what happened. You don't have to relive the details of the moment. Right. You, and you don't have to relive the details of the emotional impact it had on you. It's just there. Mm-hmm. So part of the homework of the actor is to, yes, have a memory uh, and make it real um, and have a, have a vision of it uh and and then it's there and then you're reacting accordingly Mm -hmm. so yeah i guess i do see the memory not literally in my mind Uh but i just know it happened and and you know i've thought about one of the images that it's right at the beginning of the play that esther and i talk about she brings something back in my memory uh, my character's memory uh and that is that as boys we the attic that we eventually had to move to after the 29 crash and my father lost all of his money. We used to experiment up there. Mm-hmm. This was the, this was the twenties. This is when science was radio. We made radios and we were
0: the young scientists, the young yeah. scientists, mm-hmm. you know, it was
2: an exciting time. The twenties were exciting an exciting time for that. And so, and we were kids. So I created memories of that. Mm-hmm. And when Joanne Joanne's character, brings me back. I say, one of my lines is, yeah, I forgot about this, you know, but we did this and we did that. So I have specific images that are going on in my mind of right. my brother and I playing around with radios and, you know, breaking beakers and, you know, right. making noise. Right. Uh, and plus, uh, like in a lot of uh, Miller plays, there is a, a, a musical motif too, that's not actually in the show necessarily, but in my mind. And that is my mother uh, uh, played the harp. And so the harp is something that I kind of hear in my mind. And the harp
0: is on stage. Cause and the harp is the literally on stage. And that's part of the, it. of
2: the furniture that we have to sell. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: There's also a, a, an old gramophone on stage, which comes in. I mean, that, that uh, several, as I recall, at least two of the characters play, mm-hmm. wind it up and listen to it. Is the music specified in the script? Or did you have to pick? It is. No, mm-hmm. it,
1: it's specifically a uh, Gallagher and Sheen. Mm-hmm. And then it's uh and then it's a laughing record, any laughing record. There mm-hmm. were many in the twenties, apparently. I, I wanted to, Evoke the image of the father. The father who's often mm-hmm. talked about, but of course has long since passed away is, um, is almost like the unseen character in the play. So he's in a chair downstage center mm-hmm. and next to him is an old radio. And when the audience first comes in, there's music coming out of that radio with a light that's focused on that chair. Right. And, uh, in a sense, it sort of creates, I would hope, a certain sense of the mood where the audience Finds out later that the old man, the, the the father, who was at one time very successful, extremely wealthy, had lost all his money, millions of dollars, millions of dollars. Gave it all when it when it when everything fell and the rug was pulled out from under him, he gave up on lights And he just up. crumbled up and mm-hmm. sat there and listened to the news mm-hmm. and the radio. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's all he did. So he, they referred to him in that chair constantly in the images, other than going out for these little odd jobs here and there. He basically just sat in the chair all day and eventually passed away
2: michael mentioned earlier about uh the the universality of these characters and, and i think it's true and um as he as he was talking about the father just now i just wanted to mention that that really the play is about how we take care of our parents everybody must go through that uh i have had and we just opened the play, but I probably had five to seven people who have come up to me saying, you know what? I had an argument with my sister the other day and, oh my God, last year I'm, I'm still not speaking to my brother. Right. And it's always about that issue. Right. What do we do? What's the choice that we have to make? Which is another reason that's called the price, of course, because it's the price that these brothers have paid for the choices they made mm-hmm. dealing with the father and what they and how they handled it. Right. So that's really universal and mm-hmm. it could happen. Tomorrow, it could have happened in 1893, whenever. Yeah. You know, it just happens that this is 1966. Right.
0: And, and what I think, again, makes it so worthwhile is that, um, there, he doesn't accept any easy answers on, on any no. of the issues that are raised. Uh,
2: you, you asked us about what we love about Arthur Miller. One of the things I love about Arthur Miller is because his characters are not black and white. Uh, they have good sides. They have bad sides. Uh, they make bad decisions. They make great decisions. And they're, and that's what we all do. You know, they're so human. He doesn't write anything but human characters and he shows both sides. He presents these people and he doesn't judge them. Right. And, uh, he just says, this is the way it is, Mm. you know, and you as an audience, you decide. Whether or not they're good or bad or, or they made the right decision or they made the wrong decision, what have you, and that's what I love about Arthur Miller because his characters are just complex there's no easy answers, and that makes it hard as an actor to figure it out once you figure it out it's a joy to play
0: yeah let's talk about the um the staging literally the stage you have mm-hmm. a very wide stage yes. at raven and you just had these four folks right. <laughs> to, to fill mm-hmm. it up so what are ways that you approached that problem
1: cluttered up as much as yeah, we can right. a <laughs> lot a of, of <laughs> furniture <laughs> would, uh, well it's kind of, when you think about it this particular stage it's it's about the size of a large brownstone in some way so mm-hmm. in a way we were able to recreate the the massive attic space that they have yeah. and the amount of furniture uh arthur miller's directions in the script if you, if you want to follow them, is 10 rooms of furniture mm. st- stuffed into one attic loft space. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of furniture. Right. So you have to have an attic that's at least enough to store 10 rooms of furniture in. Um, and then what we did was we created what I... Called like Warrens for the actors, mm-hmm. just little narrow paths around the furniture, around the tables, so that it limited where they could go. They didn't have big open expanses where they could just drift off. they really were the by by creating the set as uh Amanda did so so beautifully um it it defined the limitations of the action and in in that inevitably forced the actors really to confront each other and not worry about constantly traveling. I mean, mm-hmm. there were movements, but there were lots of times when they just There's simply, to go. <laughs> they, they had nowhere to go. They were trapped and there was a certain element of that claustrophobia that uh, either they had to leave the attic, which several of them threatened to do several times. As a matter of fact, all four characters Either leave or threaten to leave at least twice, right. and they they go, "I'm I'm out of here. I'm going. Where are you going? I I can't I can't deal with this, you right, know." And right. and of course, that's their uh, you know, there's no other options for them.
0: So what what does that do for you as an actor, Chuck? When you when you are so constrained physically in terms of which way you can turn or walk,
2: um, it makes it a lot more honest, uh, more truthful. I'm uh, I okay, was just now, here. Th- I, I'm going
0: to interrupt you. because sure. The regular person has no idea what an actor is talking about when they say honest and truthful. And actors talk about it all the time. So try to be specific because I I don't know what that means exactly.
2: Well, it means that I'm bumping my knees on corners of furniture. (laughs) I'm tripping over things. Right. Uh, uh, knocking things off tables, climbing, climbing around. Uh-huh. So it's, it's reality, I guess, you know, uh-huh. it, it forces you, you're in the situation and you really have to make adjustments sometimes, uh, when you're talking to somebody. I literally, there's a, there's a, a moment where right at the end of Act One, where Walter comes in. We talk about Walter a lot in Act right, One. Right. Then he makes his appearance.
0: Very unexpectedly. Very
2: unexpectedly. And, um, when I was by a table and, and when I saw him, I turned to him, and I yell out, Walter, and when I did it, I tripped on the leg of a table, uh-huh. and I kind of stumbled around, and one of my friends was in the audience that night, and they said, that was great. Great was bit. That, did, that, that was a great <laughs> bit. Did you? Did the director tell you to do that? I'm like, no, I just did it. So that's what I mean. I mean, yeah. he, it really, it doesn't make me claustrophobic. Actually, another thing about this set, too, is that... Um, Actors work a lot on preoccupation exercises, and what I mean by that is that um, you're handling props. And so you can have a conversation with somebody and chop up onions or wash dishes or move things about. And this set is filled with old um, telescopes, cameras, pictures, uh, things to climb on. And so a lot of times we, we as actors are picking up something, having a conversation with somebody, right. but playing around with the telescope or, right. or looking out the window or looking, th- rummaging through chests of drawers. And that's fun. That's just fun because you can do something different every night, you know? Uh, I mean, there's a pattern that we have to get to uh-huh. and, and goals that we have to make. And there's certain things I have to touch and show the audience, but, You know, uh, on the other hand, I can kind of do anything I want. So it's Mm -hmm. sort of a playground. That's what that set does for me. It never makes me feel like I'm tight or claustrophobic. It's sort of like a playground. Mm -hmm. It really is a playground. And I, and I, but I do, I'm banging my knees. I'm tripping over things all the time. On opening night, I laid my hat, my, I have, I wear a policeman's (laughs) hat. I laid it on the table. It fell off twice. It didn't ever happen during any of the previews, any of the rehearsals, but that night it fell off. Plus my mask fell off and then my foil that i have fell off and so i just had to deal with it i had to go pick it up and place it and right. and you know the i was getting laughs the second time my cop hat fell off the table because the audience was enjoying the fact that i was just dealing with it and and that it was happening to me right. everybody sa- thought oh my god you know this poor actor he's <laughs> he's tripping <laughs> over himself and hats are falling every place right but it made it real that's yeah. what i meant by making it yeah
0: real. i i think that's true there's a um that way that we have in real life of not just doing one thing isn't always portrayed on the stage. No. Sometimes, you know, when you've got this big empty space and people are staring into each other's eyes, which is not the way people actually talk to right, each other in right. real life. Yeah. Um, and I can see how this set makes it easier, a naturalistic kind yeah. of... Dis- and, and particularly... In the relationship between the husband and the wife, because that's such a familiar everyday... Those are the relationships where we have pay attention to each other. Right. Um So that kind of distractedness makes so much
2: sense. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Uh,
0: well, I think, you know, naturalism is a fascinating topic that we don't have time to get into because um, I'm not sure there's even such a thing. But
1: heightened, heightened naturalism. Yeah. That's what it is. That's what it is. Heightened.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I think
1: that's what you do with, with theater in general is that no matter how much you create the reality, the reality has to be slightly or however subtly different from everyday life Mm -hmm. because oftentimes you take an everyday life moment and you say, well, what's different about this particular day in these people's lives? Why is this day important enough to put on stage? Exactly. Right. Because nobody comes to the, to the theater just to watch people bicker right. or, you know, pay their bills. Right. That wouldn't make for theater, obviously.
0: Right. And and that, to me, is what this play does so so well, is to um, just make it seem really important. Mm-hmm. This, these four folks... I mean, nothing... It's not huge, it's not operatic at right. all, um, but it ends up being, um, I think, very profound.
2: So. I, I would just like to end by saying, you know, going back to the audience, I think this play is just one of those perfect examples where an audience can come in watch the action and they get to choose they get to decide who's right who's wrong and maybe no one's right and no one's wrong and maybe it just is everybody can relate to the subject matter that's up on stage in the price everybody can because if you haven't gone through it you will and i think you learn great lessons yeah yeah
0: well thank you so much for thank you thank you
2: yeah it was great thanks